it started with you messaging me mm. to um, pitch a show. Yeah, I, I I remember, in fact, I have a note because I kept a, a whole uh, folder full of notes for, from this whole process and I, I found the earliest one. It was in July 2019. And it says, I contacted Mingma about the possibility of using Troubadour stage, ro- stage works. Uh, for a folk piece using stories from heritage sites. <laughs> That's my very first note. Um, yeah, because I knew you had this theatre company that that was exactly what you worked, how you worked mm. with specific heritage sites. And I thought, well, maybe we can work together make on it, something. Make, make it all work together. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny considering it's now you're what? December 2022 so I know there was a little matter of something in between those two points <laughs> the, the thing that shall not be named yeah, yeah. yeah there, was, there was a glorious moment wasn't there when we finished the first draft we're about to do a read through and then uh, the whole world stopped yeah yeah <laughs> um but rewinding I think I, I remember I contacted you because I had just finished um doing a similar much shorter show about the folklore of Bristol and cider mm. in a pub. Um, and I thought, you know what, it would be really nice to do a similar storytelling-based thing, but in a completely different environment for a completely different site. Um, yeah, I remember we we went through a few different ideas for sites. And then I don't yeah. remember how we, we landed on churches. It might be because you... You'd worked with the CCT before, hadn't you? We had just done a, yeah, oh God, yeah, that entirely lines up. We had just done a project with the Church's Conservation Trust doing Macbeth in St John and the Wall in Bristol Um, and realising how easy it was to use as a venue and we'd had quite a successful audience. And this was still when we were very much thinking about it as... Um, yeah, very much as a theatre show. And how do you market it? How do you get it touring? And also, I remember you being very, very keen on a tour as well, rather than just wanting to do a specific show. <laughs> yeah, I'm um, not sure why. <laughs> it really made it complicated, didn't it? <laughs> nah, it was. It was um, well, glad, I think. Glad, it, yeah, yeah. It was the. It was the thought of when you when you talked about churches. I thought, wow. Well, there's obvious folklore that binds all of these old church buildings together Mm. so there's got to be some sort of through line that you can tour Mm. and yet there might be something there's obviously something quite different per church and I didn't think I don't think we really thought that through um entirely from the beginning that how much it would change per per building per venue no I, I think also what was so I think our instinct was right on that as well. I mean, it was always interesting. And there was, while we were writing it, I think this made in the stones better was this kind of, this pull of both of us that I had the very history side of Mm. knowing about venues and knowing about this. And you had the very folkloric side. Mm. And, you know, we did have this, this not clash, but it was a, it was a slight tug of war, which, (laughs) which makes it better. But I remember, um, I think that the instinct at the beginning of going, there's something here in terms of doing a show in a church and telling the story of those churches which people will respond to and we have and that has been kind of universal like every time we go we talk to a church about it the response of delight and of there is something for us mm-hmm. and something for the community and so on that side I, it was we we were right I think I think we cho- we chose well as a kind of muse <laughs> I suppose yeah the church has the muse yes but you're right I I, I had actually forgotten that kind of slight clash at the beginning of I was like oh but you know you have to treat these histories as stories and you know we can pull them around a little bit and what about all the magical elements and you're like oh I found this really interesting piece of research from xyz in the past and like oh and I'm like yeah but is you know are people still talking about it can does it have that folky vibe I don't know (laughs) but people should talk about it Sophie what do you mean that this is a yeah irrelevant But it, it worked because it meant that, yeah, one didn't become too much of a dissertation and and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we kept the story and kept, and, and kept it alive. I think it's mm. the thing which surprised us both. I had more of an inkling, again, because of history um, than perhaps you did at the beginning was just how secular the history of churches was as well, though. And, mm. that, and that was that kind of telling the story of the stones and of all these amazing 
kind of hilarious life that happened in churches and it's only mm. really modern in the modern day that they've been they've become only the place for religion yeah and i remember like a hesitation that i had when you first talked about churches was this like well you know we don't want to be we don't want to be making it too much mm. about religious stories and obviously there's a whole a whole horde of stories that come mm. out of for example christianity but we didn't really want to necessarily tell those yeah um and that's also something that people when we were talking about the show to people they would say oh well you know mm. they would hint at well i'm not religious so, so we're like no, no 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 this is not that yeah <laughs> oh yes yeah, so we hit uh yeah there were there are a couple of moments of that and, and again it's interesting why did I know why, but also why why is it such a touchy moment of going, no, it's not religion? It's, mm. it's an interesting question, but that it really wasn't our story here. And uh, I think what I loved to discover more and more was stuff, was the crazy stuff of things like the, the nave in a church is mm. meant to be entirely secular, secular meaning that that's where you store the animals in winter mm. because uh, as their barn, where you'd have horse fairs in Salisbury Cathedral into the 1860s, where you'd have you know, your politicians and your courts and your merry bands and your drinking parties mm. and, you know, all of this stuff. And it was the, you know, it's the end of the church, which is the sacred side. And, and so that kind of side of story, which I, which I was so keen, and I think you were as well, to, to, to remind people possibly. Yeah, definitely. And I, I remember the, when you... Was it you? Maybe it was your dad, I don't know. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when it was revealed to me that the shape of the church was like a human life. Me, I'll claim. Yes. It was you. Yes. <laughs> it was you. The shape of the church like a human life. Um, and that's, you know, nothing at all to do with religion. It's it's about people and it's about community and mm. the same arc that people go through. Mm. Um you know the the portal door what is it the portal the entrance to the, the fact- church and the entrance to life at the font of the birth mm-hmm. and then marriage at the altar the place beyond at the um at the high altar at the very very the end. high altar at yeah. the very end yeah. <laughs> in the grand churches yeah no it's it's yeah. it's all of that i mean i not to get into kind of theological discussion at all <laughs> but i i was always fascinated by uh, there's one book which is from the 60s I first discovered when I was doing my undergraduate degree called The Secular Use of Church Spaces and, it, um, and one thing which this author discusses um, is that actually if you look one of the kind of when Christianity was forming its great revolution was that it was about the word of religion it was the word of God it was about conversation and discussion rather than about a temple and mm-hmm. so actually in the in the foundational text of christianity in a way there is no place to worship an idol but Mm. once it becomes a state religion well you're going to need a space so how do you design the space because you need a space for people to gather because it's the state religion but the space intentionally doesn't matter and Mm -hmm. that's one reason why the secular side is so important is that Mm -hmm. because the idea is that you have is that you are serving the community not Mm -hmm. that you are having a temple in which to worship and that just blew my mind when I when I first read that argument because it, it then it also explains why and the justification for doing shows in churches and all of that side, you know, in a way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I I think that whole idea of the church, the building as a community space, it blew my mind when we found that the building was built on already community pieces of land already sacred land yeah. where for example the yew tree was and that's that was very well known for being protective of the dead and this sort of already already sacred place yeah um, well the yew tree was really interesting in particular wasn't it because it was mm. this that in england there are these yew trees who are it's very very unusual to find a yew tree in the wild at all they have they have a kind of symbiotic mm-hmm. relationship with with people and with churchyards but quite often the yew trees in our churchyards are older than the churches exactly exactly so it points to a much older older religion which was on that site before and mm-hmm. christianity was so good at just kind of taking bits of other bits and you know yeah and they, they, all of this kind of goes to show that it doesn't matter what belief system was in place at any given time what matters is that specific patch of land mattered 
<laughs> matter to those people. Yeah, actually, my dad had had a wonderful, uh, strange story uh, of when he was um, uh, when he was designing pews and was and was and was doing this for for his um, carpentry business and furniture design. Uh, that after the two thousand and eight floodings in che- in kind of Cheeksbury, Gloucestershire, like the entirety of that area got flooded, and he went, oh possible business opportunity for churches who knows you know there might have been some flooding and people might want some more furniture (laughs) and he he called up the diocese and it turned out that out of the kind of whatever 2,000 churches in that area only two had been flooded uh, because all and those were the modern churches all the others had been built on land which was not literally the water would come up to the door but the the people who had built those churches knew how it might happen and it does not go any further well, there you go. It's really, it's really cool, isn't it? Oh, so. Well, I wish you told me that before, <laughs> before draft like thirty or something. I don't know how we would have brought that in. No, you're you know. right. We already tried to get too much. In. <laughs> yes. Yeah. On that note. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The research. Yeah. It's. Uh, I think it's pretty impressive how much we got in, but also the amount that we uh, did not. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I know. I in my stack of notes here, I've got. <laughs> Very long quote from Hull in uh, what is it, fourteen twenty eight, um, dictating why, when, and where you're allowed to hold markets inside a church. Um, <laughs> do you know what? Honestly, I don't even know what it means. <laughs> but it was great. Read it out. I think it's, it's right, you know. it says. Uh, <clears throat> I would like to remind all present of regulations that no markets be held upon a Sunday under penalty of six shillings and eight pence to the seller or three shillings and four pence to the buyer, except according to ancient custom from Lammas to Michaelmas, that no cooks nor victuallers dress any meat on a Sunday except for strangers, and that too before 11 (laughs) o'clock. Any person to inform against transactions transgressors shall be entitled to one eighth over and above half the sums so forfeited provided he acted out of pure zeal devoid of self-interest or malice (laughs) it's a monty python sketch (laughs) i know and that that whole quote was in an early version (laughs) yes which you made me learn Yeah, yeah, or, but that you know, we had early versions that were absolutely scattered with that exact kind of thing. You know, from that to Tennyson quotes to you yes. know anything that mentioned either the, an interesting or funny history of a church to an interesting or Fun fact, slightly so. magical yeah. um, piece of folklore. Like all of this, we had so many fairy bell references. Um, the fairies in a very early version of the fairies that lived in the yew tree and the bell tolling they they thought that the bell tolling scared away the fairies but actually the bell tolling drew them nearer and that's what makes this such an interesting magical place (laughs) i had completely forgotten that version wow yeah Yeah. and i think it's uh, and i mean it's also all these bits like we had in some ways, COVID did a lot for, for the script and that we had one draft, which we were quite pleased with, but then <laughs> we left it for a year and came back and totally ripped it up, mm-hmm. which did it enormous good. But it, yeah. that was also interesting. And I mean, there's also even the bits which we which end up in the script as a passing reference at one point sometimes had three pages dedicated. Like, yeah. Like the fight over the warlock and his, and his heart. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love the story of the warlock in his heart because he hides his heart in a box and a box it's, in a it's swallowed something by a bird else, that flies swallowed in by a bird. Yeah, and, and the, the bird is up in the pews of the church. And I thought, well, this is relevant to churches. This is a story about churches because it mentions a church. We have to get that in there. <laughs> um, and there's no, yeah, we never managed to get a, the green man in either. Actually, thinking about it, it's, yeah, uh, good um, point who uh, there was a great moment where Sophia told me that um, whenever you go to a church, there is always a green man. I was like, well, well, not always. And... I know. And then we went and I said, yep, yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I've, I've yet to visit a church 
that I haven't found the green man in, but I'm willing to be p- proved wrong. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, I, I, I hope he is in every church. Yeah, I'm hoping not story. to be proved wrong. No, <laughs> but yeah, it's a great one. We also had the um, the whole thing of, of uh, the portal knocker, <laughs> which was yes. three pages of madness. <laughs> Absolutely, we had um, the so the portal door is the westward door. Yes. So the, the... It, it's the big, big doors on the end of the long bit of a church. Mm-hmm. Mm. That typically is the formal entrance. Mm. Um, and often you have this face that's also a knocker, you know, a lion or a gargoyle or something that also, you, you know, you use and you knock on the door with. And <laughs> we characterised this face to be, my goodness, something... <laughs> uh confused and yes. uh and uh a bit too fa- fa- uh fond of sexual puns yeah <laughs> being very honest a lot, a lot of knockers references in there <laughs> thankfully we scrapped that <laughs> i think it was about 2 a.m when that happened um mm-hmm. oh i know what it was it was that we were stressing about doing our first proper proper draft and so we decided to turn on the microsoft word audio <laughs> Mm. Um, well this this was an idea from my from me because I've always found that if you're working in folklore if you're working in the oral tradition mm. in any way and I know this is this was a written mm. thing and a performed thing but if you're working within that world it's always best to just talk it out and see how a story actually manifests in mm. the in an oral way yeah um <laughs> it's all very well saying that and then you know we're sat there with the dictator on trying to get from the beginning to the end of this story that we wanted Mm. to tell um but you know once you do hit the end then you can go back to the middle and think okay yeah let's edit this (laughs) well I think I think it was a really good idea to do it because it was also I think we both had paralysis of looking at this blank page we had so many notes and then the writing of it and I think I think it was that that idea of kind of just just reading it out but and then we also because we there was a moment when we said look this is not just our story to tell because firstly we're going to churches and saying let's tailor to your space so already we're mm. going to be including all of that but also so many other people and like part of the point is the memories of the stones so let's feel very free in the fact that we are including all of these um uh all of these references and all of these um people and um and things like the Tennyson poem which are, are in the end we only I think got two lines two written. lines yeah <laughs> um but Tipperary or the Earl King poem or that you know and once we said look this is we will happily admit that this is everyone's thing and then suddenly we had something we could edit and actually make into a script rather than just mm-hmm. going we need to write something yeah <laughs> yeah and on the I mean on the tailoring front should we talk a bit about that yeah um, definitely I think I mean it was it was really interesting talking to the different venues that we were originally going bringing this on an R&D to mm. um saying have you got local stories for from your specific church that we can slip into the show in any way and wow they just like opened up it was these really really interesting pieces of folklore mm. and that was that was so good to actually talk to them with our voices mm. and hear them in the way that they are passed down. Yes. In, in their natural folky way. <laughs> well, it's also, it, it was, I think we have to give kind of a, a little bit, well, a fair, more than more than a little bit, a lot of credit to, to Tim Smithies mm-hmm. in, in some ways of this, who gave us our first kind of shot at getting this on its feet mm-hmm. in, in, in Cornwall. And he's an old pro at theatres and at community work and, get, and trying to get it all, all to work together and one thing he said was tailoring it so that there's something very special for for the people who you're going to and um and ha- and and how to talk to those churches and how and how to and how to include it. I think he was the first one who actually said can you tailor it each mm. to each show I think in a... and it just made complete sense didn't mm. it because we're talking about a community space we're going into a community to tell them their own story surely you know they need to be part of that it's for them and it's the night itself is a reason for them to gather in their community space Mm. which some of them might not visit very often at all so 
you know, let's use their own content. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's a, and I actually have, I remember having a real sense of when I first went down to Cornwall to talk to some of the venues we were going to work with in that, in that initial tour and mm. really trying to say, look, I, the last thing I want to do, I have no real connection to Cornwall. I don't want to come in and say, I'm telling you your story. This should be a connection. It should work. And and mm, exactly. there were and there were some really moving moments, like getting a um a corner a Cornish singer in each show to stand mm. up and do a Cornish folk song at the end, or just as as part of the show, and that really was moving. And and as you said, just watching, there were some shows in particular where you looked around and said, actually, in some ways, the quality of what we did was the least important thing here because suddenly you have <laughs> yeah. you you have these communities talking in a way that you'd hear conversations or someone's so pleased to invite you to the local lunch because you're new and you didn't know that that happens and then all this kind of stuff mm. which that building has had for literally millennia for some of them and yeah. had lost and that yeah. was really special mm. yeah completely mm. actually one little point i want to put in as well is that one thing which yeah. i had to fight well, not fight, but one thing I was really ple- wanted to include from a secular side was the original King James Bible text as well in our in our show. Ah, uh, yeah. Which I did need to justify to literally everyone, including you, which is including fair. me, yeah, <laughs> a yeah. Lot. And part of that actually was less to do again to do with the religious side, but to do with the ritual and the community side. Yeah, and having a real real feeling, which actually came from um, going to my grandfather's Russian Orthodox religious kind of funeral and the religious funeral in the russian orthodox church is uh exactly the same whether you are the czar or the smallest serf uh and has has been the same for 400 years mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i and it was so and it's in russian and i speak <laughs> not a word of russian and it was the most powerful thing i'd ever experienced because it, it though i understood nothing of what was said it felt like all 400 years of these people were calling out and, and kind of welcoming the person through. It, it was a total kind of ceremonial secular side of a community saying goodbye and, 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 and moving through. And I think I wanted to pay tribute to the King James Bible, which had been the church's main text and the Book of mm-hmm. Common Prayer for, you know, since Shakespeare's time. Well, it was when you when you told me that story of the Russian language being exactly what you just said when you told me that story um uh, that was what switched it for me and I thought actually that text is one of the closest if not the closest thing that that we in the English language have to that Mm. that I can think of anyway um you know these are words that are repeated and repeated and repeated Mm. and I mean, even in the, the very fine, final version, we do call that a spell. Yeah, and that it invokes a kind of magic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. And that, I mean, that hit my my folklore itch because, <laughs> you know, anything that's to do with repeating words and things being passed down in that kind of very ritualistic way mm. is, you know, is what we're, is what we're getting at. Exactly, and it's... I think it's it's also a real sense of again from the community side of, of this text, this was your kind of your your reference point in conversation. So you know, for four hundred years, people didn't have Harry Potter or didn't have Friends which they all watched. <laughs> they you know went to church and each day heard exactly the same language. If you ever met a stranger, that would be the thing you quoted at each other, or would kind of go, "Hey, have you thought about this and how that could be quite this?" It's a bit funny like that, isn't it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> such a community side which show um yeah yeah and 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 calling to that in the memories of the stones mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah definitely mm. um i mean mentioning one thing that actually made it into the final version yeah. should we talk about the actually how difficult it was to find a final version and a and a spine yes. for this story um that is yes so do you have a rough idea of how many different versions of how of how we tried this i stopped counting <laughs> <laughs> a long long time ago mm. but really i mean i like to think of our process as a very uh, a very small scale concentrated version of how folk stories are told so you know you start with one thing that might for example in our case be 
a story of churches um, told by a yew tree. Mm. And then many, many, many versions down the line, you find a completely different a completely different story that is telling the same bones but has a completely different framing device which we ended up on this child roland and bird allen story but somewhere in the middle you know us discussing and changing Mm. these many many different iterations was i like to think a very folky process (laughs) i I, I totally agree it was really yeah it was really folky do you want to talk about my um 10 word challenges (laughs) oh yeah you said sophie what is this story about and i was like oh well you know it's about this and blah 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 and you said no do it in 10 words including the words this story is about um and that was very difficult Mm. (laughs) in fact i'll try and find some early ones this story is about reconnecting to the magic of the oldest space in our communities i don't think that's much more than 10 but (laughs) nice (laughs) Uh, this story is about celebrating the accumulated myth bound up in shared space this story is about uniting over shared space and shared stories this people is about this story is about people to coming together every time it seems like it's the end of the world. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> I know. Uh, this story is about the synthesis of nature with human nature. Oh, I think that was a very early version. Yeah, that, that's definitely... Anyway, this whole, this whole task that you, set, that you set was actually very, very helpful mm. in that... Well, firstly, to illuminate the fact that neither of us really knew what it was about Mm. we just knew what we wanted to achieve with it and actually that's a very different question thing it it was that we knew there was something there that worth saying well yeah but firstly what what that was and secondly how to make it into a half decent story (laughs) were two very different challenges i think yeah absolutely Yeah, so what were our kind of old spines? We had... We had... A very early version was all... It was based around... Mainly kind of death folklore. Mm. And how people turned to the church at the hardest time of life. And it was, you know, all of these associations with death. Um, In fact, a partial a part of that ended up in the last one with one of the voices the croak of raven walk over a grave and three black cars in a row all of that yeah um unlucky folklore yes because it was about a rattling to the church door and that was a very a very big sign of bad luck yeah and i suppose another thing which kind of from that really early version which ended up was also though i I haven't connected this until now was <laughs> the the thing of the the chapters of the story mm. are are the we always said were the points where where someone is most likely to connect to a church which is like these great great kind of life death Landmarks marriage of life yeah yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah completely um and you know i am glad that we moved away from that just being death related and <laughs> to be the yeah that would be a very different tim burtony show i think <laughs> yeah completely um yeah and then we had we had george and the dragon was a much bigger part earlier as well yes there was a whole scene about george refusing to fight and about cowardice and about um i can't remember where you're going with that to be honest yeah it was just about being brave for the community really Mm. and and we only we we went into that because often in stained glass George and the Dragon is, an, is a very common scene to depict in church windows. And then we thought, do you know what? Actually, that's not, that's, it, it's very much associated with England, but. Yeah, I think we had, we had, we, I remember us twisting ourselves in knots over liking all these really, really local stuff, but then going, mm-hmm. but is this universal enough for a story? But do all know, churches but... have gargoyles, but do, you know. The the moving thigh stone, which I absolutely <laughs> loved. It, it was only called the thigh stone. It was a very, it was just... <laughs> oh God, I've forgotten from that. from some um, small church <laughs> no others. So it wasn't universal in the slightest, but mm-hmm. it was this stone that kept 
coming out of the wall and going for a wander because yeah. <laughs> it just wanted to <laughs> go and see the world or something. Yeah. And then people kept putting it back and it kept yeah. moving again. A nice zany character for Disney in a kind of... Exactly. Um, and then you kind of battered that one out. <laughs> it was always ones where I did... I did yeah, sometimes I was definitely the bad guy with this. I was like, yeah. it, it is cool, but also it can't take 15 minutes of an hour-long show to be talking about. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think yeah. one of the actual um, much more spiny stories that we were well framing devices that we were using was this idea of a lecture yes there was it was um yeah it was a there was the lecture idea and there was also and i can't remember whether they were both at the same time well lecture and then using the lecture as the spine of of telling stories but there was also mm-hmm. the three friends who turn up in a church <gasps> yeah and oh so yeah, yeah because it, it um it started on this point of oh we're all gathering because we're in danger from something outside mm. um but the the danger itself was unknown and that was the point that it could be many other things but they've gathered and they're going to tell stories for a while until the danger passes mm. and that itself was the framing device um that did make it in into Sanctuary. one of the kind of chapters the sanctuary mm. scene um in the final thing because actually sanctuary is such a a a big part of what churches have been Mm. um i mean i still really liked that as a framing device do you remember why we didn't go for that um i I can't remember why we didn't go for that we also Mm. had i think we also had this framing device of a a woman and kind of her family at one point Mm. or of the kind of of splitting through family and seeing stories that way and and when the different landmarks of life were from a different member of the family because they've been in the community for so long yeah yeah and i think there was always a feeling for both of us that the other side of things time was different that mm. time did not happen lin- linearly all the mm. memories could converge on those landmarks of life so you would have like a roman next to a you know 20th century person in a mm. suit and that was just the normal way that the world worked and because i think one of the big difficulties is we kept on getting really excited about our framing device and knowing how we wanted it to work <laughs> and then it fell down at one point it just couldn't quite and because we weren't sure exactly what what was inside maybe and i remember we always we were trying to list the smaller stories that we would kind of get in there Mm. and one of these was child roland and bird ellen it was always kind of top of the list of this was the funny thing things to include well it was so funny because it was one which i had mentioned me Mm. miss history not miss folklore um Mm. (laughs) in this in this writing relationship um (laughs) But, uh, and it was one which I don't even remember where I first heard it. Like, it really was from childhood. And mm. I remember this idea of going around the church Widdishins or the wrong way and the King of Elfins snatching you. Mm-hmm. And I told you this ages and ages ago. And I think it was because I, I think it was because I had never considered using a folktale as the spine. Mm. and it was you who then said well why doesn't that work and it took me about half an hour to get on board of just like I don't understand (laughs) I know and I was saying Mingma we are telling a story this is what this is (laughs) this is a storytelling show why don't we use a a very obviously not not real piece of history but Mm. very obviously a story and then infuse that with a bit more history a bit more truth yeah I think it, I think it just was just not come across my 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 bow at all. This mm. idea of, uh, but it is an oral sto- an oral tradition, as you mm-hmm. know, is it, to kind of use the old characters to tell the story in it. Yeah, and I remember this kind of horrible hesitation the first few days we were writing it and going, oh, it, that's fine and that's fine and it's working mm-hmm. here and it's working there and have we found it? Have, <laughs> have we found the way to tell this story? I know, and it just the the whole weirdishens thing and the falling into fairyland or Elfland, or whichever version yeah. that, you're, that you hear, um, made so much sense when it came to the this whole other side of things that we wanted to mm. bring out, and the, the hidden, the what's in the stones question. Yeah. So as soon as he goes round, then 
immediately all of that can explode. I, I, and we I can also experience just, that. And I really, really remember that we definitely had at least a three hour conversation about no we have to be really clear about what the mechanism is for him going into the other side of things and it has to be clear and it has to be this way because if not no one's going to get it. it's not going to be logical and then we chose to, to frame it with child and the bird and went it just turns he turns and it's fine isn't it he yeah? just turns that's it yeah. you just go around weirdishens there's nothing else to it yeah forget date time you know unlocking <laughs> spell you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> I know, and because the, the, the main iteration of that story that we were following, um, he visited three people, didn't he, before he could then follow Bird Ellen yes. into Fairyland? Well, mm, it's a... Yeah, in the in the most complete version, again, like fairy tales, mm-hmm. so many versions, and I'm sure we're going to get onto that. But it's a mm-hmm. uh, this the most complete version is from the 19th century, and in it he go he has to journey to Elfland, uh, and in that journey, and and in the and he's told by the wizard Merlin, you know, cameo, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that he can accept no food nor drink from anyone mm-hmm. there. And has to cut off the head of everyone he meets. Mm. And there are three, and he has to kind of see three people on his route to the King of Elfland's hall. And he has, mm. to, and each time he has to do something. But I, I, I think what you're getting at is that we took this idea of these mini challenges, mm. and then went, well, what, yeah, well, perhaps there is this thing of him needing to complete a challenge to go on to the next bit in order to to get through. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know what I'm thinking of because I was thinking of the vo- our voices three and the what we met earlier. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Voices three. Perhaps it. Gosh, perhaps it was. Because I think he, he, you know, he goes to visit somebody and they're like, "Oh, well, you have to do this if you want to go to Elfland." And then he goes to somebody else, and then he goes to Merlin. Merlin. Yeah, we did. We did have a, a version that yes. It, it might not have been that same version, in fact, and this is the beauty of folklore. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, we, no, you're right, the voice is three, because I think the grandfatherly voice, one reason for grandfatherly was because it was Merlin, it was Merlin. At, at one point. Yeah. Oh, I'd forgotten that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, exactly as, as, mm. as you're saying, the, then the challenges, instead of him going round cutting off their heads, as he does in one version, um, we had this thought of, well, he has to get past each landmark of life. Mm. Um, and that ended up as taking the, t- the story tithe. Yeah, uh, it was funny because in the, in, uh, in the kind of R&D version, it was, it was more close in some ways to the folklore and his... his it was. His... his, his the way that he succeeded was that he had to refuse to participate in the scene. Yeah, it was the Lotus Eaters, wasn't it? Yes. It was every scene as inviting him into forgetting his normal life and just, oh, come, enjoy our mm. the, the ever-present, the now, yes. <laughs> this scene. Um, have fun with us, play with us when, when he's at the baptism with yeah. the children. Journey um, with us. Journey with us, with the leave-taking and... You know, stay in sanctuary, safe with us forever, and marry and then, me, and marry me. <laughs> um, and every time he has to think, no, no, I'm here for a reason. I have to find my sister, mm. and then bam. Yeah. And what we and actually in the final iteration, what we realised was the again, this story is about, and actually, I think mm-hmm. really this show is about the loss of stories. Mm-hmm. And we just realised actually we just we can be very literal. Mm-hmm. That is, you literally... can collect the stories, and it can be mm. a, a sad forgetting of stories that then you know are released into the world. And you, I, I mean, actually, when we landed on that final, this show is about. Mm. It was actually a complete relief because that's what we've been we've been talking about the whole time. But we hadn't found the words for it. Before. Yeah, we were like, well, these stories matter. We were Bird Ellen, weren't we? They matter. We yes. have to keep them safe and secure. 
Well, I think we're not entirely bad, Ellen, because it's, <laughs> we, we, it mattered, but we wanted to release them. We wanted people to know. Exactly. And, you know, and actually one aspect of what we were... It was interesting is that Bird Ellen becomes the villain of it because she wants to hold it all safe because she's scared of what will happen to the stories. And actually, I think that's quite an an influence of the oral idea as well, that mm-hmm. trying well, to the keep... Well, the mis- misquoted, misused, misunderstood mm. um, was a line that you put in that I was like, oh, absolutely. You yeah. know, that's what folklore is. We're, somebody tells one story, then they're like, so, you know, the listener doesn't quite get it and therefore tells it in a different way or... Mm. Or get for, something else from it. it. And, or get something else from it, exactly. Um, um, and actually, that's not something to fear, Bird, <laughs> Alan. <no. laughs> that's something, yeah, quite, something. quite lovely and extraordinary, and worth sharing. Exactly, and yeah, I suppose also a justification for us, you know, putting in so many other people's words as well, and and yeah. folklores and, and characters. And I, I mean, the other side of it, which is once we start, <laughs> once we realised that Child Ellen and Bird Ellen could work, was that we both went deep into the folklore of who are these people and you know her bird uh child roland bird ellen and the earl king mm-hmm. and that was fascinating as well wasn't it in a um yeah i mean the the child and bird yes. thing the young yeah the the man and woman on the brink of something Yes, so it's the uh, child, which means not quite squire, not quite, <laughs> yeah, and um, bird being the young woman who's no longer a child but isn't quite a woman. Mm. And that also kind of worked with this idea of, of transition and, and of, of stories. But mm. it's also kind of as characters, like the, the fact that, you know, me, the Shakespeare buff, discovering that Roland <laughs> is mentioned in King Lear. Yeah. And that clearly he, he's mentioned in such an offhand way in King Lear with the bastard Edward saying, Child Roland to the Dark Tower came, yeah. that clearly he was a folkloric character then, that people would just know the reference. And we've lost nearly any other context for him then. Mm. And um, similarly with Bird Ellen, that there's earlier versions of her which don't quite work with Roland, then clearly at some point the two stories went, you know... Connected. And they decided that they were brother and sister, someone along the, along the way. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's that, for what with my whole worldwide wandering... Child Roland to the Dark Tower came poem yeah. mm. that you know doesn't actually mention anything to do with churches and is therefore or Ellen or or yeah. Ellen or anything. Mm. Um, and so clearly, this story met with uh, the church buildings thing, mm. you know, quite late on. Um, and exactly as you say, that these these figures existed beforehand. Yeah. Um, the Earl- and the Earl King. Yeah. <laughs> And the Earl King um, versions of him, the Icelandic, what is he, the, the hero Hogan? Hero Hogan, Merman Rosmer. Merman Rosmer. So I think we found a Danish, a Scottish, mm. a Icelandic, mm-hmm. a Norwegian. Mm. And then there is the classic German, you know. Actual uh, Earl King, yeah. Yeah. And obviously the Elf King in, in the British as well. and. Yeah. I think there is a real argument for it all being one person in like mm-hmm. in, in this kind of boogeyman who is who's existed in a way and like the, all these different versions which have iterated and which have you know uh, have have appeared yeah. and reappeared. I mean, uh, my personal, I'm sure, well, both of our one of our favourite versions, the one that's in there, the Elking poem. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's the big bad who steals children, right? And mm. if if you're thinking of children as the keepers of stories in many ways then you know who else to be the one who the children, wants to take these away the children as the keepers of stories you haven't said that before is there well i mean it's not something that i agree with it's just something that is very well is is very well agreed and common sort of well you know that's that's a fairy tale that's for children oh okay they're very much associated with each other yeah well it's a yeah i mean there's always an interesting thing of elven folk and the kind of changeling stories and changeling childs Mm -hmm. and in the folklore the obsession with children which of course in some ways is you know parents warnings of don't stray too far otherwise the elf king will come and snatch you (laughs) Uh, but it also 
it is an interesting i think i think that's an almost more profound thing about the children being the keepers of stories which could mm. which could be made from that point of um you know because it is for because the stories are the passing on of knowledge and mm-hmm. you know it's far easier to explain something in story form than it is to dictate you know or or give rules or you know how well exactly and i mean that's the reason why we have metaphors in our language because some things are not easy to say in straight words you have to mm. use words of you know that go around it in a circle and that highlights the middle yeah <laughs> um and yeah exactly you know when you're explaining these things to children that's often the way that you have to yeah well, want... and when i say these things i'm not talking about anything in particular it just it seems to be a thing that we do as people well you know you 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 know every time someone new comes into the world they need to at least be given be taught a few frames of reference or a few things <laughs> of of good or bad or of you know don't stick your hand in a hot pan or you know <laughs> to, to try and keep safe and perhaps I, I once heard storytellers be described as kind of the translation the translators of universal truths for each generation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. love that so it's that there are universal stories that kind of come down and that part of it is that is is changing the frames of references and then and it's still telling some of that you know yeah, and therefore they have to change every time because, you know, the world changes, the story has to change. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. remember how we, why we got onto this. <laughs> <laughs> Children is the keepers of stories, I think. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so I think that was kind of our final, the, the final piece that clicked in was realising that we could be so literal with the yeah. arcing. And saying that okay, he takes stories. That is, um, yeah, um, which is, which also gave Roland an actual quest. He had things to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, was was Roland always so against stories? Do you remember? I think he was. He was always, you know, he was the pernickety. Like, uh, actually, no, <laughs> kind of character. Um, mm. well, I suppose very ca- logical, and I mean that's that, it's right in there with our in- introductions to them. I'm pretty sure he always was, and mm. Ellen was always the more whimsical. Like, yeah, um, well, I think it also. I think we also at one point, you know, when the the, the three friends kind of framing device, we always mm. had one who was very into it, and one who was going nah, 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 and the. Uh, yeah, this is true. And I'm I'm remembering the three friends as um you know, one was a builder, one was a like a dancer or something and one was something else and they they each approached this from a very uh, from a very different perspective as you say, but also in the end their profession and what made them themselves mm. is what um ended up being part of why the church exists you know the builder who makes it the somebody else who brings life to the space inside mm. you know yeah and i think it was also that part that their knowledge bases though were very different and helped them interpret in very different ways as well mm. and and that idea of, of yeah of how you know the builder could read read the stones through mm. you know through the hands that crafted it and the mm. um yeah yeah wow so here we are we actually you know whatever three and a half years later is it or is it yeah with pauses i I like to give us give us a break and say with pauses (laughs) with pauses but you know it's um um, but yeah i'm i'm glad that it exists now yeah and it's out in the world i think what's also so interesting is looking back at even as we've been talking here at even the earliest drafts and how much even if we didn't entirely know what it was it was more like we needed clarification rather than it hugely changing track absolutely it was always what it was yeah it's just we didn't quite understand understand what it it. was (laughs) yeah i'm sure i'm sure there's something in there about uh, your point about universal truths and the storytellers coming along and trying to Mm. 
make sense of them that there was something here that was a definite thing that was itself yeah a point worth making and then we we were coming along and trying to see how that was supposed to be told yeah or yeah or even in a way that isn't even that we could necessarily rationalize mm. that there's something here and it's worth mm. it yeah. yeah great <laughs> i'm looking forward to delving into the folklore of maybe something else Yes, uh, different I re- kind I realized, of sight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I realised that one thing we didn't talk about was the version with the um, with the yew tree, mm. and possibly because that is part of a certain thing, which is well, because it might become something else. And I think the yew tree, as the thing that stood there before the church did, in many cases, led us on to the church as a community space. But the yew tree itself has this whole host of other stories that is worth that are worth exploring in a different way and trees in general (laughs) trees and also just the um recent scientific discoveries surrounding fungi and the mycelium Mycelium. yeah i I think there was a time when this show was called mycelium it was called mycelium yeah Yeah. we're trying Um, to um put two different concepts together we were a bit we're being slightly too ambitious possibly (laughs) But yeah, it's been it's been a ride. In fact, I think it is quite a shame that we didn't get other bell folklore in there because yes, we have other stories. To we do have other. <laughs> we can do in the bells, in the ding dongs. <laughs> <laughs> in the ding dong I mean to be fair Sophie we do literally have a song in this show called Ding Dong Bell oh yeah <laughs> I know but I want to talk about fairies 